Hello, this is Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. Looking ahead for this week, we discuss expectations of FOMC's meeting and what to look out for in Bank of Indonesia's statements given the decline in exports. In terms of equities, we look into projections for the Philippines and bank earnings in Singapore and indications of China's growth. Chua Hak Bin, co-head of Macro at Maybank, discusses with our analysts. Hey, hi, good morning. It's 24th July. Just a quick recap of last week. With US earnings seasons well underway, the Dow and S&P 500 posted their second weekly gains in a row. The Nasdaq finished slightly lower. Asian equities had a mixed week. Uh, China markets were lower, but most ASEAN markets were doing better, including Malaysia, Thailand, and Singapore. US banks reporting decent earnings last week, including some regional banks, and some even saw their share prices rise by more than 10% last week. U.S. retail sales rose just 0.2% in June from the previous month, falling short of expectations. Uh, last week as well, China reported that its co- economy expanded at an annual rate of 6.3% in the second quarter in lockdowns. Relative to the first quarter, China's GDP expanded 0.8%, uh, much slower than the 2.2% in the first quarter. Uh, this is a sign that China's post-pandemic economic rebound is fading and falling short of expectations. Uh, just remind that our Maybank forecast for China is 5% for the full year. In Thailand, further developments in the ongoing political saga, the Move Forward Party, which won the most parliamentary seats in the May general election, will be stepping aside to let its ally, Thai Party, lead the efforts of a coalition to form the next government. The next round of votes to elect a premier is this week on Thursday, and we'll see what, what happens then. Uh, China banned the exports of rice, uh, uh, sorry, India banned exports of rice, stoking fears of more global food inflation. Uh, bear in mind that India is the world's biggest rice exporter, accounting for about 40% of global exports. The key events this week will be the Fed central bank decision, advanced estimates of the US 2Q GDP growth, and earnings reports from more than 150 S&P 500 companies. Other key US macro data releases to watch out for include the PCE price index, durable goods orders, and preliminary S&P US PMI interest rate. Uh, there will also be inflation reports from Singapore and Malaysia, which should continue to show inflation easing. Singapore will also be releasing its URA second quarter private property index. Uh, today we have uh, Suhaimi on the Fed decision and Malaysia's growth outlook. Brian on Bank Indonesia's decision this week and uh, current export slum. Andy on FX and their behavior in the late phase of the Fed tightening cycle. Dylan on a preview of the Singapore uh, banks ahead of the second quarter results and Jackie and Philippine strategy. So let's kick off first with Suhaimi. Uh, Suhaimi, the FOMC meets on Wednesday this week. Markets have adjusted their expectations to just one more Fed rate hike from two after the lower than expected inflation numbers. What are your expectations for this meeting and the rest of the year? Good morning, Abin. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, I think on the, um, the upcoming FOMC meeting, just to recap, uh, following uh, last month FOMC meeting, when uh, Fed kept the Fed fund rate unchanged, but also revised the dot plot, signaling potential 50 basis point hikes, i.e. suggesting additional two more uh, rate hikes uh, in the second half of this year. We basically don't buy that. Um, we just take the view uh, Fed will only increase once, 25 bips. And we think that is what's going to happen. 
uh, this week when FOMC meet again. I will see the final uh, rate hike by Fed, uh, another 25 basis point. And after that, we are expecting a pause for the rest of the year. Sorry, on Malaysia, um, was supposed to release the second quarter flash estimates last week. Any reason why the GDP figure was not released? And what are your expectations actually for the second quarter given the recent week export figures with a fourth consecutive month of contraction in June? Um, I think the government or the Department of Statistics initially planned to release the advanced second quarter uh, GDP last Friday, 21st July. But um, it did not happen and there was no official explanation as to why. Uh, I'm not going to offer any uh, explanation to that because the, it would be purely speculative. But um, maybe uh, the release of advanced quarterly GDP, uh, which um, I think is likely to be delayed to third quarter instead. In any case, actual second quarter GDP will come in uh, on 18th of uh, August. And I think on the basis of our monthly GDP tracker that suggests uh, slowdown in uh, GDP growth uh, on average for the month of uh, April and May compared with uh, first quarter growth of 5.6%, uh, coupled with the um, fourth consecutive month of year-on-year contractions in the export figure highlighting the drag from um, the global economic slowdown, especially the uh, growth slowing in US, uh, recession in Eurozone and UK, as well as the uh, sort of underwhelming recoveries post-pandemic in China, together with uh, softer commodity prices and tax sector downturn or down cycle, so to speak. We think growth in the second quarter of this year likely to come in between 4 to 5%. But um, I think a more firmer estimate will come uh, by 9 or 10th of uh, August, as uh, by then we will have a complete set of third quarter indicators for things like industrial production, for uh, commodities output like CPO, as well as a quarterly index of services and value of construction uh, for us to work on uh, to come up with uh, our sort of a final estimate uh, for GDP before the actual release uh, of second quarter GDP on 18th of August. Okay, thanks, Swami. Let's bring in Brian. Brian, Indonesia released their June exports uh, data last week. How severe is the export slum and any bright spots? Yeah. Uh, morning, Harbin. Morning, everyone. Yep. So, uh, for Indonesia's exports are uh, actually plunged by twenty one percent in June, and uh, that's quite a significant reversal from the zero point nine percent year on year growth in May. Uh, I think if you break it down, non oil gas and uh non oil and gas shipments uh return to contraction. Uh, plunged by about the same as the headline, and uh, oil and gas shipments uh declined by a deeper magnitude. Um. The slump was broad based across major products. Uh, I think uh, palm oil uh, exports was one of the key factors exacerbating exports, uh, given that they fell around 19% from a year ago uh, on the dissipation of uh, one-off base effects uh, boost from last year's exports ban. Uh, 
which lasted only for three weeks and was lifted uh, on the 23rd of May. Uh, that said, month-on-month, month, palm oil shipments actually rose for 3% to hit the highest level since November 2022. Uh, other than that, generally, because uh, commodity prices have uh, come off last year's highs due to global growth worries and China's disappointing recovery, uh, we have shipments of coal, iron and steel, ores, uh, slag and ash, nickel, yeah, they they all basically uh, locked. Uh, I guess continue to contract in June. Um, even exports of manufactured products also slumped. Uh, such as uh, apparel and ships. Looking at the country breakdown, um, non-oil and gas shipments to all major markets fell in June. Uh, led by India with thirty four percent decline and Malaysia with nearly forty percent decline. And I think one notable uh um point would be that exports to China, which uh is uh, its largest export market uh, sank 10% uh, compared to 4% growth in May. So Brian, Bank Indonesia meets this week for their rate decision. What are you expecting and what would you be looking up for in the statement? Yeah, so uh, we are expecting BI to keep its uh, policy rate unchanged at uh, 5.75% uh, this week. Um. I mean, although inflation, which uh, was 3.5% in June, um, has settled into the BI's 2 to 4% target range for the second month running, uh, but the rupiah has come under pressure in recent weeks amid uh, further anticipated Fed rate hikes and also China's weak economic recovery. Um, our base case is for BI to hold its policy rate at 5.75% for the rest of the year to support the rupiah. Um, with the first rate cut only in the first quarter of 2024 after the Fed embarks on its first easing. But that said, I think for this week's meeting, we'll be watching for any indication whether BI is turning less optimistic on growth and therefore feels the need to pivot to a more supportive uh, policy stance um, later in the year. Um, and also, um, given that BI had previously said that uh, interest rate policy uh, will be guided by inflation developments. I mean, specifically, it was the governor who said this. Uh, and uh, so I think it will be crucial to uh, really um, uh, look at um, BI's view on uh, how inflation will pan out in the second half, how it, view, how it views the balance of risk around inflation for the rest of this year and in 2024, especially when you uh, when you take into account that um, that there have been, I guess, recent, um, recent shocks, uh, recent upward pressure on food prices due to, uh, due to India's export ban and also due to the uh, adverse weather. Uh, so, I mean, previously, in the previous BI meeting, BI said that it expects inflation to moderate to around 3.2% by year-end. I think it'll be uh it'll be key to watch uh like um whether uh how 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 BI views uh the the the, the balance of risk. Great, thanks, Brian. Uh, let's bring in Andy. The FX team released a thematic report on FX behavior in the late phase of the Fed tightening cycle. So, what are your key findings from looking at past cycles? Hi, uh, morning, I've been morning, everyone. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, the. Generally, what we're trying to do is actually to illuminate the kind of uh, price action to expect for the next three three to six months. Um, I think we're at, we are closing on the peak of the hiking cycle. So we want to look back into history and have a sense of how different asset classes and Asian currencies uh, tend to behave around the peak of each rate hike cycle. So the first asset class that we want to look at was the US Treasuries. And we want to look into the 10-year since it's the benchmark. So 10-year yield rose uh, in tandem with the rate hikes and started to plateau once 
Fed started to ease off the, the pace of rate hikes from 75 to 50 basis points. However, for the most part of this year, actually, US Treasury 10 years managed to re maintain elevation. Uh, a look back in history actually revealed that at some point, uh, beyond the last hike, which uh, Swami shared just now, which is will be in July, naturally, US Treasury yields will start to fall. Uh, this fall in US Treasury yields could also be due to risk aversion rising from concerns on growth. Uh, we also looked at um, situations of currencies. Uh, typically, yen will be the key beneficiary for pullback in uh, US Treasury yields. Second asset class is on equities. Equities tend to rebound uh, after the Fed uh, is done with the hiking cycle. Uh, essentially positive for risk-sensitive currencies like Aussie, uh, Candy, and uh, Korean won. Um, so history also, actually, the third sort of asset class you want to look at is suggests that even in periods without war, oil prices uh, do tend to fall as uh, Fed continues to tighten monetary policy and only got some support after the Fed uh, stops, hiking, uh, stops hiking its rates. Uh, essentially, it's positive for oil-related currencies such as uh, ringgit and Canadian dollar uh, as well. But in general, essentially, uh, Asian currencies will start to strengthen if you look at it on FX front, uh, as they have done in the past, uh, as the threat of further policy tightening on global economy starts to fade, uh, volatility starts to ease, and uh, carry trade uh, comes on again. Uh, this is somewhat clear in the chart 10 in our report, uh, but it's also apparent, we want to give a disclaimer, that uh, Asian currencies as a whole uh, will not be able to make a full reversal uh, amid lingering concerns on the global growth outlook uh, that would naturally weigh on pro-cyclical Asian FX. The, the other caveat is that we did not take into account potentially the full boost if the China's recovery comes on stream earlier than expected or if there's a sudden sort of a stimulus coming out with a cautiously optimistic uh, upgrade on, on China's front as well. Um, Habib? So Andy, then in this episode, how and which currencies would you recommend investors' position at this late stage of the Fed tightening cycle? Yes, um, thanks. The late stage cycle, late cycle of most asset allocation, I think the end of this Fed hiking cycle could bring about, first, like I mentioned, just now, equity rally. So it's positive for risk-sensitive currencies like Aussie, uh, Korean won, and Canadian dollar. At the same time, the fall in US Treasury yields would bring upside to yen. So we, we're actually positive, or we'd recommend positive on yen. So uh, that together, the rise in oil prices would lead to also positive for Canadian dollar and ringgit. Uh, Asian FX as a whole uh, should see some support in late, late sale, uh, uh, late um, sort of uh, period phase of, of uh, this cycle. But in general, I think it will be piecemeal. We cannot apply roughly all uh, sort of broad strokes. But uh, just to end off, um, we did the worst case scenarios and best case scenarios and our base case scenarios, which is based on uh, what Swami has shared just now. Uh, essentially, uh, Countries which typically, currencies which typically have a China growth story linked to them are Ringgit, Thai Baht, and of course, obviously, CNY. Uh, as for Rupiah, it tends to be more impacted from a US rates perspective. So whatever happens on the policy front on the uh, uh, from BI and also on the US front, actually, and the growth story could actually have some impact on uh, Rupiah as well. So look into our report to have a gauge of uh, the ranges of currencies that we expect to pan out over the next three to six months and even into 2024. And, I, and finally, to give an example for Ringgit, we're looking at a range of 430 to 470 for 2023 by end of the year, given uh, deviations from our baseline uh, and ending at a, between a range of 370 to even 5 uh, for the end of 2024, given some of the sweet, uh, sort of uh, skewness between our baseline uh, by end of 2024 from the worst case to the best case as well. So some interesting scenarios 
uh, from our forecast ranges for all currencies in ASEAN. Habin? Thanks, Andy. Let's bring in Tillon. Singapore banks will be releasing their second quarter results over the next few weeks. What are you expecting and where might be the surprises? Yeah, morning, Hagbin, and morning, everyone. So we're expecting the Sing banks uh, to see some sequential deceleration uh, of earnings. Uh, this would be led by NIMS, uh, which have peaked in our view and are now experiencing higher funding costs. Uh, the US banks, uh, on the other hand, did manage to uh, skirt around this issue. The second quarter results were quite strong uh, because of a lot of safe haven flows uh, from regional banks that they got uh, in the second quarter uh, after the whole March Madness episode. But we don't think that will be the case for the Singapore banks. Uh, loan growth also should be uh, negative uh, given uh, fairly weak uh, regional growth as well as uh, uh, growth in Singapore as well. Uh, we do expect to see some improvements in fee income, particularly on the wealth management side. We've seen the markets uh, being relatively positive and uh, that should have prompted a lot of uh, private banking customers to put on a little bit more risk. Um, on the asset quality side as well, we are expecting things to be uh, benign, much like what we have seen over the past few quarters. But this is an area that we are getting increasingly uh, more cautious about and concerned about as you go into the second half, uh, Hugbin. So, Tillon, do you think uh, China's reopening and sluggish recovery will have a bearing and be reflected in the results? I think so. I mean, if you look at the first quarter results as well, we, we hardly saw any growth coming out of uh, their China books. Um, and I think that most likely would have continued going into the second quarter as well. Um, generally, the economic numbers coming out of China has been uh, below expectation. And if you look at both, uh, for all three banks, China makes a fairly large uh, contributor for, for DBS and OCBC. About a third of their uh, loan books are in uh, North Asia. So I think, I think you, you probably will see this week growth having a bearing uh, in, in, in the second quarter numbers. Okay, just one more question. Remind us on your calls and relative preference. Um, for the three Singapore banks? So we are neutral on the overall sector. We think a lot of the growth uh, is done. Uh, so we only have one buy, which is DBS, and we have two holes for OCBC and UOB. But uh, specifically for the second quarter results, we think that OCBC uh, might have a chance of surprising on the upside, particularly from the wealth management side, as well as some aftermarket gains on their great eastern insurance side. Hugbin? Great. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, Jack, in your latest Philippine strategy, you highlighted a sharp drop in trading volumes and liquidity in the Philippines market. What's driving the sharp drop? Okay, good morning, Hakpin. So it is definitely not corporate earnings and general macros, which are both trending up for the Philippines. So we think uh, foreign investors' aversion to risks and the market's unrecovered um, liquidity post-pandemic is what's really keeping investors, uh, foreign investors' stock selections in the market at a very tight range. Um, if we look at the year-to-date performance of the PSEI, it actually shows a relevant correlation uh, to falling ownership levels um, and average daily turnovers, particularly for the property and consumer stocks, uh, which were actually very fairly owned by foreign investors pre-pandemic. Uh, Jackie, you argue that when foreign funds return to the Philippines, the more liquid stocks will likely benefit. Uh, which liquid names do you think have the most potential? 
Yes, so, um, the expectation is that upsides to more liquid stocks are easier to realize as they will be more investable to a broader set of funds. Um, so a screen of stocks with an average daily turnover of at least 3 million US dollars and upsides of above 15% uh, gives us um, SM Investments, SM Prime, Ayala Corp, Ayala Land, uh, Globe Telecoms, and PLDT, where we all have buy calls in. So SM Investments and Globe are among our top picks in the market, actually, and SM Prime is our top pick in the property sector. Great. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you very much. To access our research reports, contact a trading rep or download them from Maybank's trade platform. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and leave us a rating. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. <laughs>